All right, welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I spent the last three days holed up in the media room out in Ashburn trying to figure out what the Washington Commanders would do over seven rounds. We now know they made eight picks, and here to help me break it down, what they did, what they didn't do, and what's left to do is our friend from the Team 980, Brendan Darr. Brendan, uh, before we get into anything, how, how, are, how did you survive the draft? You're a big draft, uh, Nick, like myself. How, how did you uh, survive the, uh, the three days of fun? I almost didn't survive Thursday night. That was a disaster. Uh, you and I had talked about the draft Wednesday and Wednesday night and Thursday morning. And uh, it, was a, it was a disaster, round one. Um, but, you know, we moved on. And then Washington did their thing. So whatever. What was uh what was the disaster? The uh I, I just so just to clarify for the people who are not, I assume you don't mean Jahan Dodson. I assume you mean your own personal. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, saying. I, way. Yeah, one of us finished in first place, and it wasn't me. <laughs> um. Well, you know. Um. It was a, a the very draft, humble. <laughs> the the, uh, the the draft as we as we all discussed going into it was rather unpredictable and even though we had a feeling for the top i don't know 11 15 picks and i think we were largely right the order was the question and the order was fairly all over the place and uh, yeah reflected in in how things broke um and that may be influenced on some level what happened with washington's pick we'll, we'll get to that in a second but yeah a, a, a wacky first round only one quarterback as we know and and so on and so on uh, but yes, inevitably, the, we got to the Washington Commanders and make the one trade down to eventually take Jahan Dodson, the Penn State wide receiver at number 16. That trade down netted them two extra picks, meant eight overall. And even though they made another trade later on, they finished with the eight picks and they filled in some holes that they had on the roster, particularly on the depth side, which is why I feel like it feels a little underwhelming. Not to say it was a bad draft, but it's to say they didn't seem to shoot for the moon in too many spots. They kind of filled in those gaps. And that's why, to me, it feels like, as I've been saying, sort of low ceiling, high floor kind of a draft, a bunch of seniors as well. Um, and so I, I think that's just kind of how I'm viewing this right now. None of us have any idea how any of the players will perform, but I like looking at process. I thought the process was reasonable, but I just think their choices to me seem to be they think this roster is not bad already, and they wanted to address the depth holes more than they did go for stars. That's my initial salvo before we get into anything else specific. I'll give you a chance to make yours, and then I'll uh, finish up the intro. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. It feels like they thought they were a couple depth pieces away from a Super Bowl, where I think everybody else kind of thinks they are light on stars. They needed to go big. And it doesn't really make sense given what they've said all offseason, especially Rivera saying that year three is such a, a big year. That it needs to be a big year. If it needed to be a big year, you didn't make any moves in free agency. You made the trade for Carson Wentz. And then at the draft, you took a receiver that's pretty similar to one that you already have on the roster. You took a depth defensive tackle. And sure, you need defensive tackles, but where you drafted him and the type of player that he is 
you could have gotten that exact same guy in round four or round five and tried to find a quality starter in the pass defense at that point. And then you took a rotational running back in round three. What they did doesn't match what they've been saying all offseason for what they were planning to have this year. So I'm just kind of confused as to the process. I'm with you 100%. The process doesn't really make sense to me. And everybody says, oh, you can't uh, give grades on the draft right after the draft. You can. You grade the process. And the process just didn't really make a lot of sense to me, honestly. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to that and more and discuss kind of, you know, where, where things stand with this roster in just a second here on the Standard Group Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, uh, or on the Athletic app, wherever you do your podcasting. Of course, if you're an iTunes person and you have a second to drop a, a rating and a review, I definitely appreciate it. It does help the cause for sure. And if you have uh, also make sure to subscribe. I just said that, I think, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, make sure you subscribe also to The Athletic. I don't know how many bylines I had this weekend, but it was more than one. There was a bunch. Uh, every day we had multiple stories up. I'll have another one up on Monday about where things stand on the, on the depth chart. So make sure you go there and check that out. And, of course, if you want to talk to us on social media, I'm at Ben Standig. Bre- Brendan, what's the best way for people to find you other than if they want to listen to you on Kevin Sheehan's uh, podcast? Or yeah, Kevin listening to me on the... Uh... Yeah, listening to me on Team 980 with Kevin Sheehan. And then uh, follow me on Twitter, at Brendan Dar, and you'll probably yell at me and tell me you don't like my takes. It's fine. Uh, fair, fair enough. I mean, you know, who, who would who would dare do such a thing? Oh, that's right. Everybody does that. Everyone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, l- l- let's go through this. Now, I just want to say, though, in terms of the process, I think there's a couple things to consider with the process that we just discussed. And I, I do, like I said, I'm a process person. The results can always be weird and random. I made this analogy on the radio today or yet or yesterday when I was uh, on uh, 1067 that we have a running bit when I do these shows with uh, Britt Giroli that my breakfast choices are pretty lousy to the point where sometimes I just I don't even eat. I wake up. I don't eat till like a, one o'clock and then I get hangry and all that stuff. So the other day I made a, a point before we had the show. I went to Starbucks got coffee, got a breakfast sandwich, but I didn't eat the breakfast sandwich until I was, I was going to eat it in the studio. So I drove all the way there, parked, got my, got the coffee, got the sandwich, started to walk into the studio when, in, when unbelievably the bottom of the bag broke open, sending my breakfast sandwich tumbling to the pavement, thus making it inedible for me at that moment in time. No five second rule for me on the streets of DC. And my point yeah. is, my process was sound. I, I, I needed food. I went to the store to buy food. I secured the food. And then something weird happened, just like it can happen with these NFL teams. You can do what you can make all the right moves that we would say. You can, you can, you can go, you can have things line up to work right. And then life happens and, and things don't go right. That's why the results to me are, can be sometimes tricky but tell me what you did because if you do if you process works if you do the right process eventually things should go your way and so i bring all that to say i think that a lot of what washington did is reasonable in terms of what they identified what what they needed to do they identified they needed more than the six picks they entered the draft with they end up with eight reasonable call i think both trades down in terms of the the value of the picks back and forth 
I think we're pretty good. I think the first trade with the Saints, where they dropped from 11 to 17, and then picked up a third and a fourth round pick, you look at the various charts, whatever, they did They did a pretty good job. They then later traded that fourth round pick to, the, to uh, Carolina, that fourth plus their own six to get two fifths. And again, I think that worked out well. So I, I appreciated that aspect. I'm giving them, I'm, I'm, I'm giving them that much. Are we, are we good with that so far? Yeah, I'd say the, the trade in the first round, uh, more of the older school ones, more of the draft charts show a loss and more of the newer school ones show a win. So it's somewhere between there. I would have expected a little bit more. And then on the second trade for the fourth rounder, it seemed like a win in both old school and new school. And that seemed like a bigger win than the net of the, the first trade. So yeah, all in all two pretty even trades. Okay. So, so, so that, so that part, we start there, but now let's start with sort of what happened at that point, because There's a so uh, I don't, this is a um, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this a, a couple of weeks ago. My colleague at the Athletic, Mike Sando, who's who's big with talking to executives around the league, did one of these anonymous uh, quote stories. This is right after free agency, basically. He's asking everybody, "What do you think of the, what these teams did?" And when they got to Washington, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I've said it before on here. Basically, he said that there's all these trades that are happening, these aggressive moves are happening by front offices led by younger people. And that Washington's triumvirate of Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney obviously are on the older side. And that, obviously, it's not to say that you can't be aggressive and, and, and all these things being older. It's just to say that the, it seems in their case, that leads to conservative nature, both in terms of how they're trying to win games 17 to 14 was yeah. quote, but also the moves. So while the trade downs were... I don't know. They weren't aggressive per se, but okay. At least show some signs of, you know, not complete rigidity. The everything else kind of felt like they were just trying to hit, go for singles and doubles versus going for home runs. If they had stayed at 11, they were in position to draft either Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, who we've talked about a bunch, one of these draft, the unicorns of this draft, a really dynamic, versatile safety, huge, rangy great instincts could be a real difference maker not saying he's ronnie lot but could be a difference maker if you listen to the analysts they also could have drafted jameson williams the wide receiver from alabama who was considered to be the number one receiver in this class before he suffered an acl injury in uh january you also could have taken chris olave the receiver from ohio state who the saints did take at the 11th pick i think those guys particularly the first two have more of that upside where if they had drafted one of those players, I think we would be look, talking about this draft class differently without knowing exactly how else things unfold because we're you at least can say that guy has that upside potential, but they chose to go down. And not only did they go drop down in the draft, I think, and I'm not curious how you think as a guy who was studying this board, that when I was doing my mock drafts, I kept having the same issue. I, I didn't I didn't do them linear one to thirty two. I would fill in where I thought I had the I had the most sense of what was going to happen, then filled in the blank. But when I was at like I'm not kidding, the sixteen to twenty range is where I kept struggling. I couldn't figure out the value because it felt to me like things started to drop off right after that point of where the receivers go and Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle goes. 
and it feels like they trade themselves into that gap, which is why the Dodson pick to me why, is surprising because I wasn't picturing him there. It also makes sense because, like I said, at that point, you could have thrown in almost anybody there, and I would have been like, sure, because it felt there was a gap. So I just said a lot of things, but basically they traded out of getting more of the upside play and into a volume, getting volume picks, but probably dropping into another tier for the first pick. Yeah, so I completely agree with you on that. Um, one of the big things, and I don't think it was in Sando's piece. I think it was in um, maybe it was Shahil Kapadia's piece. He was talking about how at the draft, a lot of executives thought there were not a ton of first-round talents. And a lot of teams were would say like 16 or 20. And that kind of rings true. Like to me, it felt like there were 16 elite players. The three defensive ends, three offensive tackles, um, the four wide receivers, not counting Traylon Burks or Jahan Dotson. The two cornerbacks. Two cornerbacks, maybe three cornerbacks with McDuffie. I thought he would have gone a lot higher than he did. And then Kyle Hamilton. uh, Hamilton and Jordan Davis. And then maybe you could throw in Jermaine Johnson too because he was getting a lot of steam towards the end of the draft process. Yeah. So – we kind of had a feeling, and this is something you and I talked about. We knew how the first 10 or 14 picks were going to go. We knew the players that were going to be in that top 14. We just didn't know the order it was going to happen. And I, I thought about it the other day after we had talked. And that's kind of where the big tear break was in the talent of the draft. After that first 14 to 16 players, it really fell off after that. And it, there was depth to this draft. Uh, that was something that came out a lot too, was that front offices felt that day two was a lot stronger than it would have been in years past because of all the guys that came back from the COVID years. So I can see wanting to add more pieces on day two and day three early on. And Daniel Jeremiah talked about this on the draft on uh, during the fourth round where he said there were basically... 120 players that you felt really good about being drafted this year. And then after that, not so much. So trading to get back into that top 120, top 150 made a lot of sense on its surface, trading back to 16, especially with a team coming up who we thought needed a quarterback. That made sense because they probably thought, and I don't know for sure, they probably thought if New Orleans wants to trade up, it's because they want a quarterback. So they didn't think Chris Olave was going to go there. That was a pretty big surprise because everyone expected Jamison Williams to go ahead. So when Chris Olave goes, Detroit trades up and gets Jamison Williams. So in theory, it could have just broken poorly for Washington. They probably thought, well, the Ravens aren't going to take a wide receiver. Little did we know they were going to trade, you know, uh, Marquise Brown later on and they thought Eagles may not take a receiver so they probably thought they might get one of Olave or Williams because honestly I didn't think Olave was going to go before 16 and then he goes at 11 and maybe I should have considered that when they traded up it could have been for Olave I just didn't think it would be and you know we can we can agree or I will say I think the board might have broken poorly from them from the standpoint where they they traded back, they thought they were getting picks, and they thought there was a pretty decent chance three of one of the three guys that they 
in theory could have wanted would have been there. And then it didn't happen. And then either they panicked and took Dotson, which is possible. I mean, they're not saying that. They're saying they had him very highly rated. That's fine. But I don't know. Like, the process feels weird to me on that one. Like, trading back and missing out on one of the elite players when you needed an elite player doesn't feel great. Right. So, so this is all connects to everything else that's happened, right? You know, when you don't do much in free agency and I, I know if Ron Rivera is here, he would say, well, free agency is not over yet. Well, okay. I get that. But the bulk of free agency, you were entering the draft with holes all over the place, other than upgrading a quarterback, which is not nothing. I mean, you know, whatever we want to think about Carson Wentz, it gives them more options in their offense, just having him there. So they did that. And effectively that was their third round pick. You know, we could sort of say that game for this year. But they had holes everywhere else because they let guys go in free agency. They, they, they had to release players like Matt Ioannidis and Landon Collins. So they had a bunch of um, a bunch of holes, which I think led to them feeling like they needed to get more picks. And, then, and we all agree getting more picks is a good thing. You know, cheaper contracts, um, younger players, you know, all that stuff give you more options. You, you know, draft is the draft is the definition of inexact science. And one way to beat inexact science is throw as many darts at the board as possible. But that's what, you know what I mean? So in other words, but if they had done a little bit more in free agency, perhaps maybe they wouldn't have felt that they had to use the 11 pick to do that. Maybe they could have dropped down from 47. You're not getting as much perhaps. Yeah, but exactly. Maybe, but maybe you could have done that. Okay. So they chose that path and you're right. Maybe things didn't break their way. I, I, I'd be, I mean, if they really thought the saints were moving up for a, a quarterback like that to me, I didn't think that. Cause I just, to me, the Saints are a team that needs to win now. Forget the fact that the quarterbacks all fell. But I just mean like the the Saints are a team that's in the mix to win now, and any rookie quarterback has got is not going to help you there. The Steelers took Kenny Pickett, but they had no quarterback. They're starting over. They're, they're, they're stable. The Steelers never lose. They're fine. <laughs> uh, the, the Saints, you know, a new coach, you know, the, whatever. They need, they, you know, they need to kind of get, get, get a little bit going here. Plus, you have Jameis, Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. So, I mean – it's good enough, you know. Um, anyway, so yeah, but then yes, then Olave goes, Jameson Williams goes, Jordan Davis goes, Kyle Hamilton goes. Uh, the next pick was Kenyon Green, who actually was a little bit of a higher, not reach necessarily, but I don't think people thought he would go there. Then Washington comes up. So if they thought that any of those other guys were definitely going to slide, that was maybe a bit of a miscalculation. Not, I don't mean just because it happened. I mean, because... Like we're saying, the, the, there were those guys, and then there wasn't a ton else after that. In any event, and, and by the way, here's to my point of why I'm saying, or I think some justification, why it was much more of a crapshoot at that point. Look at the next picks after what after Dodson. The Chargers take Zion Johnson, a interesting guard, can play multiple positions. I think people thought even at 17, that was perhaps a bit early for him. 18 was Traylon Burks, the, the wide receiver from Arkansas. But we can debate whether you would rather have him or Dotson, but sort of in the same general range. And then after that, I don't know. What, I, I don't even know what there's another player I can point to to say, boy, I wish they had done that instead. If we're talking shoot for the moon, I, I don't even know if there's somebody there that I'm like, mm, boy, that would have been a lot better. And I think that's just to my point. They traded. It's not you, you have to factor in on some level. They got more picks. That's good. But they also traded out of a tier. And that is why I think we're in general looking at this class as fine, but not 
overly interesting because there's not that top guy. Yeah. Plus, if they really wanted picks, they could have held off and waited to make the another trade because they said they got a bunch of offers for 16. So if they really were talking about adding more picks and more players, especially filling in holes, trading back again would have made a lot more sense because you're kind of in that dead zone you were talking about where, yeah, maybe you would have liked Burks. I mean, I would have liked Burks better, but I mean, I guess if you're going to trade back from 11 to 16 to pick up additional picks, you've already missed out on the elite tier. Why not trade back again, pick up more picks, maybe get a pick in next year's draft. So I don't know. I'm with you. I, the process to me on that, I, it would have made a lot more sense if they traded back again than stuck right. there and picked Dotson. I, 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 I agree. I mean, can't, we don't know exactly what the other offer was, but right at that point, you're sort of picking at the top of the list when the next, I don't know how many names you want to say, 20, 30, are all sort of amorphous kind of what you could, it could have gone and anybody that could have been picked there, you know, you could have told me that some certain guys could have gone 20, they could have gone 40 that type of deal. So they're picking at the top of that, which is why going back, right. Could have made some more sense. Again, don't know exactly what the offer was. So I'm not even going to speculate um, on that, but yes, I agree. I would have probably rather them traded back to do the, get even more stuff. And by the way, you can't do everything, but if trading back meant, could you've gotten a third round pick in next year's draft, knowing you're already going to be without probably a second round pick that would have been good for that too. Okay. They didn't do that. Uh, I talked on, uh, the po- a podcast did immediately after the first round with David Aldridge. So we went through the Dotson pick. So I'm not going to blame go over that one too, too much. He's obviously a pretty talented player. Like you said, he's kind of similar though, to what they already have. That's why Drake London seemed more interesting. Not that he was available for them, but because he just gives you more size. So, okay. Um, it is what it is. Just give me your quick 20, 30 second take on Dotson. Do you just, you're a big college football guy, fan of the player. I mean, I'm a fan of the player, but again, I'm not a fan of the value. Um, I think he's kind of repetitive to what Curtis Samuel already is. I, I don't think he's an outside receiver and a 5'10 guy that's best at catching jump balls. It, it The history of 180-pound receivers in the draft is not – guys under that is not great. Um, you're talking about Deshaun Jackson, who is not a comparable player. I would say the closest comparable player is Darnell Mooney, and that was a fifth-round pick. So I'm not upset with the pick. I think he was really good in college. I just wonder how his college game will translate to the NFL, especially when we know that for a receiver to be really good, if they're going to be a slot guy, which it sounds like he's going to be, they need to be able to play in two wide receiver sets. And I don't know if he's necessarily going to do that right away, so if you're drafting a guy who's not going to play in two wide receiver sets right away, it seems like that would have been more of like a round two, round three kind of safer slot pick than a outside receiver who could also transition into the slot in three receiver sets. Right. Uh, it feels like every so often Ron Rivera gets some new phrase into his lexicon. Catch radius became the big one this draft between John Dotson, then later in day three, taking tight end Cole Turner. He used that to, to sort of explain both picks, why he liked both players, the catch radius. So don't look at the size, look at, you know, basically, you know, wingspan, what they can do. So we don't have to look at the size of Cole Turner because he's freaking huge. Yes. Jahan Dotson looked like a preschooler talking about on a podium in comparison to Cole Turner. 
I, 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 I hear you on that front. So in any event, they add Dotson to a room with Terry McLaurin, with Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown, Cam Sims. I'll just say that, um, you know, in the sense, they kind of were adding, potentially adding three receivers because obviously Curtis Samuel basically didn't play last year. Deami Brown was a total washout and I still expect Deami Brown to contribute. I, I do like the kid. And I think I, I still have faith that that's going to work out. And uh, you know, Curtis Samuel, I don't know, last year was incredibly weird, but we'll just assume he's going to at least be back to get 50 plus catches. So their receiver room could be significantly better with plus Terry McLaurin. You have Cam Sims for the size. So putting aside the pick value and all that, their receiver room should be better this year even if it's just Curtis Samuel coming, but then Dotson as well, doesn't change the fact that, like you said, we they could have done some other things. I'm just saying if the point is to be better in the passing game with Wentz, they, he has more options and they should be better in that regard. I think that's a, a reasonable thing um, to, to say. But let's yeah, move I on. agree with that. So let's move on to round two. Pick 47, this is their original pick. Um, I've been talking about the idea that they could get a defensive tackle at some point here, but a combination of they lose, you know, Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle are gone this off season. Ioannidis played at least r- roughly 60% of the snaps. They need to get somebody. And I've been reporting recently about the Duran Payne situation that they're not expected to uh, offer him a contract extension and they've made him available for trades though. I don't have any, not reporting that they're aggressively trying to move him. It's just a value thing. And you know, the, they can't extend all those guys, et cetera. So they, they, they go ahead. They take a defensive tackle at 47. Uh, Fedarian Mathis from Alabama, nine and a half sacks last year. Uh, you know, more Martin Mayhew said he's a little bit more of a run stuffer right now than he is a pass rusher. But obviously that those numbers showed he can be, you know, he's got some potential there as well. He's a player that like our, our analyst Dane Brugler had in sort of that late second, early third range. I think he was number 66 on Dane's board. And all right, you know, we can say they had to pick 47, you know, tomato, tomato type thing. Fine. I'm fine with the position. And I'll let the evaluators tell me how good the kid is. But I will just note this, Brandon, that looking at Dane's list and other lists as well, Mathis was typically rated behind a, a couple other defensive tackles, guys like Travis Jones from Connecticut, Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma, uh leal the texas a&m kid right and all those guys didn't go until the third round at least Perrin winfrey went in the fourth round which says to me that collectively the league wasn't overly excited about these guys and that they probably probably could have gotten mathis or one of those other guys in the third round versus taking him there and using something else now that doesn't mean he's not a good player i'm just saying that would be my issue here on the value on the value perspective though i'm fine with the position what what say you i am not really fine with the position uh because i feel like the position's already filled with two starters now unless they trade deron Payne, then okay sure but you're replacing deron Payne with a guy who's 10 months younger than him that's the thing that kind of frustrates me about this pick. He's like 23, almost 24. And I understand wanting to have depth at defensive tackle, but it's not a premium position. You could have gotten depth at cornerback or a potential, and I, I know we all love this phrase so much, a potential starting Buffalo nickel 
if we were really looking for that. Right. So, I mean, that could have been there as well. So to take a rotational piece along the defensive line in the second round, and you used it on an older guy, all of that kind of stacks up to not make a ton of sense to me. Uh, I know he was like a third round pick or a third round consensus, late second, early third. And so it's not a huge reach from the consensus big board. It's not. I think he was 68th on the consensus big board. So not a huge reach. Still a bit of a reach. Also, you're completely right when you're comparing him to the other defensive tackles that went. The league did not value them this year. So it feels kind of like Kenny Pickett in that he went way earlier than he probably should have. And the team that drafted him just kind of didn't read the room on the value of the position. So I'm not, I I don't love the pick. It would have been like a, if I had to grade it, I know we all love grading instant grades, uh, like a C minus D plus kind of pick. Right. He, he was the one pick when I was doing that thing for the athletic having to sort of say best value, most surprising. He was the one I kind of dinged the most for kind of what you're saying. I didn't even honestly factor in the age, but you make a good point about about that yeah so just looking at it here so mathis was the 15th pick in the second round the next defensive tackle travis jones who in some pre-draft projection some people had going in the first round yeah uh he was the 12th pick in the third round so nearly a full round later and then you had uh, the next guy zachary carter went about 20 picks after that Perion winfrey fell into the uh fourth round and so on i'm maybe i'm what i'm looking here doesn't have yeah but okay whatever anyway so yeah so i think it's this is the point here is like again it feels like they went into this sort of determined to do something and then chose to do it rather than necessarily take the value and and leal if we're they have i'm looking at an espn list here they have him as a defensive end if if we call him a tackle he was the 20th pick in the third round so still after travis jones as well so um it it feels like and this is kind of my, my my point like that they went um need over best player available which again i don't know their board martin mayhew made the point we everybody on the outside can say whatever they want but they don't know what they know totally reasonable fine they're they're the ones talking to the players they're doing the medical checks all that stuff they're talking to the coaches at their at the schools all that's true but again when you just look at where the other defensive tackles fell it feels like they may have reached on a player that doesn't that, that at least for this year doesn't have a shot to start right so that's basically two players who are kind of off the bat not starting even though uh Dotson will play a lot of in three receiver sets so that is why it feels very conservative you know low floor or low ceiling high floor right off the bat here again if if pain leaves at the end of the year you're going to need another defensive tackle maybe the Mathis looks good I Knight has played a ton he should have some work but it feels like this was a place where they let some, uh, you know, left uh, some, some, uh, I'm trying to think of what they they left some money on the table, so to speak. Yeah. And the, the other thing is like one of the big things, and I noticed uh, Dane Brugler mentioned this as well, his pass rushing isn't exactly his highlight trait. And a lot of his sacks came when games were out of hand. So if he's not going to be playing on passing downs, most likely, because you would most likely have, John Allen and Deron Payne in, then he's really just a two down guy 
So it makes it even more questionable that you would take him in the second round if he's going to rotate and he's probably not playing third downs. It's kind of the same thing with Dotson, where if he's not going to play in two receiver sets, you're not you're limiting the amount of snaps that he's probably going to play. So it's kind of a bit questionable. And that's before we get to the age part and the value part. Right. And that's to your point of the two down thing, like if they had stayed at 11 and, you know, and I had decided we're not don't want to take receiver like taking Jordan Davis might have been an interesting decision to make, especially, again, if, if you're uncertain with Payne's future. But there's questions whether he's even a three-down player, which is why I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. So I agree with you. Like, uh, that, that is a concern that they, that they did that. So, yeah, the second-round pick, again, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's hard to get overly excited about it from the, from the talent and the value and, and that they reached a little bit based on public uh, big boards. All right, so we move to the third round. Um, you know, when you and I and, and, uh, Kevin or talk often on, on his show, uh, at some point in the pre-draft process, you guys were asking me, wait, why are they bringing in all these running backs? These running backs who were going off the board in, in day two. And, you know, I was like, well, I've been, I mean, I've been kind of reporting for a while that I think they want a running back. I think they want one because they think that last year, their best stretch was when they, um, had a lot of ball control, that four-game winning streak, ball control led by Antonio Gibson, held both sides of the ball. That worked for them. The problem is it was unsustainable in part because of Gibson's injuries, his fumbles, and he still leaves a lot of uh, yards out, out on the field because he's still adjusting to the, to the position. And J.D. McKissick is a really good player, but he's a passing down back, not a between-the-tackle guy, and that they wanted another option, which I think to a degree makes sense to help keep Gibson fresh as well and all that. They obviously they made the call here with Brian Robinson, who is a hammer up, 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 up in the middle. He doesn't fumble the ball. Um, obviously played, played the SEC for Alabama. So, you know, we, we saw what he could do against the better players in the, in the country and all that. The question of course is, well, do you need to take a running back in the third round? That's typically, it's a position where everybody, we all say you can find a bunch of different places, but you know, obviously good running backs are good running backs. Um, I, so I don't I don't have a problem with their thought process about possibly adding another running back, and I'm not even going to necessarily junk on it for the third round pick, except that when you're now putting it in totality of the other two picks, right now a third player you're drafting who is not even going to challenge for a starting job, now you're like, wait a minute, now you really are just adding depth and you're not going for it, so to speak, anywhere. And that to me is where... I sort of ding it, not in for the individual pick, but now three picks in is where I'm like, it's a little conservative from my perspective on the outside. Yeah, I would say that this is the most questionable questionable pick of the draft. I I don't understand why you would take a, and this is an even more rotational piece than uh, Mathis is going to be. He is not a third down back. He is not playing ahead of JD McKissick. He is going to come in between the 20 or at the goal line and sometimes between the 20s for Antonio Gibson he's got a ceiling of maybe 120 carries you're drafting a guy because he's maybe going to get what 10 15 targets this year you're drafting a guy who is going to be on the field and not see the ball a ton in the third round and if you're moving on from Gibson after his contract is over okay but again, running backs are, and I know people hate this, 
they're easily replaceable. Uh, he went two rounds ahead of Jerome Ford, two rounds ahead of Tyler Algier from BYU, both kind of in a similar style where you could just give them between the tackles carries and you would have paid a significantly lower price. Like I, this one to me is the most questionable because I understand it fits a need. They miss Peyton Barber and what he was able to provide. Did you need to draft a running back who is already older than your starting running back who couldn't beat out other running backs at Alabama? And I get playing running back at Alabama and beating out some of the guys that were ahead of him seemed impossible. That's all fair. He's a fifth year senior that didn't play until his fifth year. He had like 200 carries before his senior year. I, I worry that if he wasn't talented enough to come out early and he wasn't talented enough to earn carries, even in a crowded Alabama backfield, it feels a little bit like a reach. Like you were, you are taking a guy in the third round to fit the mold of Peyton Barber. Would you take Peyton Barber in the third round this year? No, you wouldn't. Why would you do that? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, just, I don't think this is like a Peyton Barber reaction. And I think I heard, uh, Al Galdi on his podcast talk about how if you look at some of the numbers, they actually didn't do bad in short yardage last year. I just think it's more of a Gibson thing. I think between the injuries, the fumbles, and like I said, him still maybe not being the, I mean, look, the reality is I felt like he was just miscast last year. They kept trying to make him to be this workhorse running back when he's clearly a, clearly a guy you want to get in space. In fact, if you had told me that you let JD McKissick go and then drafted Robinson, I think that would have made a lot of sense. I want Gibson more as a pass catcher. I want him exactly. more in space. But then when they brought McKissick back, I was like, all right, well, I get it because he's good. But now it feels like you're kind of going where, you know, back to where you were. And they were like, no, 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 no. We do want to do the other thing, which, by the way, this also connects with the Dotson thing, right? I, I get it. Everybody always wants to be, treat this like fantasy football where our rosters consist of nothing but running backs and receivers. But that's not realistically how this works, right? Now you have, you know, again, I'm not saying De'Ami Brown and Cam Sims are proven anything, but now you have, you know, potentially five receivers of some note. You have uh, multiple tight ends who are going to be out there. And now you have three running backs. It's fun to say we have all these weapons or whatever, but I mean, you got to use them. Otherwise you're not getting the value of what you're choosing to do. And you just spent a first and a third round pick on these guys on two of these guys. So that's my sort of ding with it. I, I have less of an issue than you do about the, the, the the taking of the running back per se it's more of the well then what you did this in conjunction with the receiver and in conjunction with keeping mckissick like where like put everything else aside the two best offensive players mclaurin gibson how do we get them the ball the most For, we'll figure out the rest uh, okay but now we're i mean like that's the part where it's a little more confusing now um uh how do you get everybody the touches to justify what you're paying them, what your draft picks were, et cetera. So that's the part for me that's a little more confusing on that front. Yeah, like he's a he's going to be primarily the goal line back, right? I mean, that's probably where they needed help the most. And using a third-round pick on a goal line back in 2022's NFL is just bad value. I, I, I think I, I saw – I guess it feels like they're going to hope they're entering the fourth quarter leading 23-20 – and they're going to turn the ball over to Robinson to run, you know, move the chains versus whatever they did last year. And of course you got to have the lead. 
in order for that. Yeah, to, you've got to have the lead. So you've got to defend the pass. So naturally, they went cornerback safety with their first two picks before Robinson. That would have made more sense, but they didn't do that. Right. They took a wide receiver and they took a run-stuffing defensive tackle. Now we're getting to the truth. I, I I don't really like all of these picks in conjunction with one another. This is where it starts to fall apart for me. Right, and that's, 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 that's the thing, right? Each individual, this is what I'm saying, each individual pick I can sort of get, sort yeah. of. But then, but in the totality of what's the plan is where things, I'm with you, it starts to be a little bit questionable. But okay. What's the plan and the value of the pick? is This is where it all far, falls apart right here. Right. All right, so we move to the fourth round. And they spend their first pick in the fourth round on Percy Butler, safety out of Louisiana. Um, can't say I knew a ton about him going into in, at the time the pick was made, but you, you look what you've got here. He's got uh, this guy is considered to be the best special teams performer in the draft. I, I know that doesn't get anybody's heartbeat heart beating a little bit any any faster, but okay, that's not nothing. Um, but he's also a pretty interesting free safety. Chris Sims, uh, NBC, you know, pro football talk, talk analyst said. He thinks Percy Butler is the best free safety in the in the class. He runs a sub four four forty. I talked to him on the phone yesterday. He told me he runs fast and he plays fast. Why I believe him? Why wouldn't I believe him? Uh, so I think he's a pretty interesting pick. They needed a free safety. Rivera said he could be in the mix for the Buffalo nickel spot. Seems like a hard hitter. So because of the special teams aspect, so I, I'm intrigued by this pick. That said. You know, Dane Brugler had him sort of in the fifth round range, which, you know, again, arguably means they, they drafted him earlier than needed. Not to, again, Dane Brugler is one analyst, but does a pretty good job and he works for my company. So I'm looking at his list. Um, uh, but that's sort of, all of what you heard from some other people as well. Then maybe it's another player where they moved, the, they took a little bit earlier than perhaps necessary, but I'm the least intrigued. And it does address another area. Forget Buffalo Nickel, they lost. They, you know, they released Landon Collins. They released DeShazer Everett. They don't have really any safety depth behind Cam Curl, Bobby McCain. This helps there. So I'm fine with this one. This is the first one where I'm like, okay, I think I can kind of buy it in more totality than the rest um, for all those reasons, even though at least based on Dane's list that maybe they drafted him a little bit early. Yeah, I buy the position on this one. I just don't quite get the player. Uh, so Dane, I think... Uh, I went through everything. Dane is the highest on him in the industry. Uh, Lance Zerline had him as a borderline uh, sixth round pick. Uh, NBC Sports Edge had him as a sixth round pick. And the Athletics Consensus Board had him as a borderline sixth, seventh round pick. Uh, every scouting report is that he's fast as hell. And every scouting report also says he can't tackle. So I find that interesting. Uh, he's a great special teams player. Interesting or important? I'm not sure. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure if it's interesting or important. I'm, I get it. You want fast players. You want athletic players. This to me, I can understand again, just terrible value. He was on the consensus big board ranked 210th. You took him at, what was it? 113. Yeah. 113. It just, it feels like a reach. That's fine. At that point, I'm not sure who I would have liked instead. Hey, maybe you could have gone running back there. There was a big run on running backs right after that. You could have taken Brandon Smith, the linebacker out of Penn State. I hear they need a linebacker since their first round pick last year has to not be a middle linebacker. So I, I don't know. Like it's 
a good position, a fast player. He's going to play special teams. All of those are good things. I just don't get the value of the player. And if he's not going to tackle, he's not going to be your Buffalo nickel. So it seems like he is either going to be a rotational safety or he's just going to be a special teams player. And I don't know if you take that guy in the fourth round. Right. I mean, and, you know, last year they drafted Derek Forrest. That was on day three, uh, a little bit later on day three. And the immediately first thing you heard was it's more of a special teams guy than a safety. And, you know, Derek Forrest basically had a red shirt year last year for injuries and so on. Um, so we'll see what he does. I, I'm no, not, not, not assessing anything there with that. But my point to bring this up is you just drafted a guy who seems his primary value is special teams to then the next year draft another safety who seems like his primary value is special teams. Again, Chris Sims is saying best free safety in the class. Okay. Maybe there's some at least some, some reason to think he could do that, but that, that, that way, is he a better free safety than Nick cross and Kyle Hamilton that went way ahead of him? I mean, I guess Kyle Hamilton may not be a true free safety, but Nick cross was a true free safety who went ahead of him and went a couple of rounds ahead of him. You know, we'll, we'll have to get Chris Sims on the podcast or on your radio show to, to discuss, but in any way, um, maybe there's something to that is all, is all I'm saying, but yeah, it's when you do the special teams thing two years in a row, because right now you would say that the backup safeties would be Butler and Derek Forrest. And we don't know if either one of them can play safety. That would be my point at the moment. Maybe they can. We will see. Rookie minicamp, by the way, is uh, this weekend. So this week, later this week. So we'll get a chance to see some of these guys at least out there. But that would be sort of my concern there at the moment as well. But okay, like I said, I'm at least on this one a little more willing to say, let's see. But you make a good point. I hadn't looked at the other lists. But if you're saying Dane is the highest in the fifth round, then that's saying a, a little bit something there. But we'll, we'll, we'll factor in the Chris Sims thing and um and uh and move forward um fifth round so oh so they had so they had the second fourth round pick they trade down um with, with they take the fourth they trade their six they trade down for two fifths um here's where they get a little bit of fun first pick in the fifth round uh they take the quarterback sam howell from north carolina uh and and brandon obviously from a pure value perspective this is their best pick because sam howell was projected to be a second round pick by basically everybody. And obviously we know the quarterbacks completely fell down. So those, those projections were off far more than to say, well, he should have been a second round pick. Like that's obviously not a real thing, but at the same point, this is a guy who was arguably the number one QB one in this class at the start of the college football year last year, or at least in the mix for that had a bad year in part because they lost a bunch the Tar Heels lost a bunch of players to the draft, including Deami Brown, his decision-making, I think suffered accordingly. And, you know, relatively speaking, he didn't impress obviously teams in the draft. They let him slide to the fifth. I'm totally fine with this pick in the sense of always take shots at quarterback. This guy seems like he has legit promise. There's the Baker Mayfield comparisons in a, not necessarily like in a style um, way. He's not the biggest guy, but he's got a good arm. He's competitive. He's tough. I'm totally fine with it. And I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to discuss whether Carson Wentz is going to have a hissy fit over this. Cause that's stupid for a fifth round pick. But um, nonetheless, they have a guy there who is a lottery ticket. I'm totally fine with this pick. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with it too. Um, especially at that point, like 
they telegraphed that they were going to take a quarterback at some point in the draft. And Howell was somewhere between the fourth and sixth best quarterback in the draft. And at that point, I believe he was taken as the sixth quarterback. So that's, I mean, it's fine. Um, I do think it's incredibly funny that immediately after the pick, Ian Rappaport comes on NFL Network and has to explicitly say that this is not competition for Carson Wentz. That did give me a nice chuckle. Um, and Ron Rivera without being asked about it, because it was in my thought to potentially ask if he talked to Carson Wentz. He just did it unprompted, which makes it clear to your point about the Rappaport thing, too, that they were at least sensitive enough to know that a, they should say something and B that people are going to be wondering about it. So yeah, whether Wentz cares or not cares about cares or not. And by the way, Wentz and Hal have the same agency. So I highly, I can't even comprehend that they, he's not aware of this or, you know, I'm sure that's fine, but that it, everybody felt compelled to note, Hey, by the way, no big deal, which in yeah. and of itself makes it show that it's at least minor deal that they had to mention it. Yeah, it's extremely funny for a day three pick, a fifth rounder. They immediately had to leak to Rappaport that, hey, by the way, not competition. Um, I, I mean, Sam Howell was considered the number one pick before the season started. I was never that big of a fan of him in college. So, I mean, getting him in the fifth round is good value, as everybody has pointed out. But at the same time, I didn't really like him in college. Like, he was he got passed up pretty quickly despite having pretty good numbers. And, you know, he's, he was more mobile than I thought he was, especially this year, which is a plus, obviously. I just, it's, it's hard to see people and it's fans, it's media members talking about this being a lottery ticket. He's, he's a fifth round quarterback. He's almost never work out. He's probably not going to be Tom Brady. Just let him be the practice squad quarterback and let's let's forget about it. Um, will they? No, 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 they will not forget about it. The second Carson Wentz struggles in week four, week five, he's going to get calls on the radio, he being Kevin Sheehan, that Sam Howell should start. So uh, I'm already prepared for that. In the story I have going up on the tomorrow tomorrow morning, I have or Monday morning, I have a a line that says something like inevitably fans will call for Sam Howell to start. Once he throws the first incompletion during OTAs that they, the fans won't even see, they'll just read about it on Twitter and that'll be enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's yeah. ready for this to happen, but whatever, I can't, I can't worry about people's, uh, you know, misunderstanding of what's going on here. But again, I'm fine with Sam Howell. I will just wrap the wrap up the quarterback thing by saying, as you recall, I was pretty adamant about this idea that if they love a guy at 11, they should take the quarterback. And my entire point was one, you've already gone in on Wentz. That's your plan Two, If they thought any of these guys were remotely interesting, they wouldn't have made the Wentz trade. And obviously, as we saw that the whole league hated these quarterbacks. Yeah. Which is the whole point, the whole last three months. I mean, there's always lying. There's always subterfuge. I get it. But at the same point, it was pretty transparent that nobody liked these guys. So that, and by the way, I think that does give, more justification for the Wentz trade doesn't mean they had to have paid full full sticker price, which is what they did. But to the point of boy, we don't like anybody this draft, and you know they already didn't get Russell Wilson, etc. So they did what they had to do. Um, so I'll just say, I'll just leave it at that on on that front. But yeah, I'm fine with Hal. He's number three. Heineke is still the second quarterback. 
we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the next guy, Cole Turner. I mean, just partly based on what how Rivera was gushing about him is probably the guy that like feels like maybe is the most interesting player that they got from a value perspective. Um, six seven tight end. You know, again, catch radius was just mentioned a bunch. I reported a couple weeks ago that Washington had a private workout at Nevada with quarterback Carson Strong and his tight end Cole Turner, which I guess my read at that moment was just immediately gravitate to the quarterback because we're thinking they're going to take a day three quarterback. And at that point, Carson Strong felt like he might be QB six. He actually goes undrafted. But in any event, um, it turns out they were really there. It looks like to go watch Cole Turner, or at least he caught their eye in that in that moment. Rivera was really, like I said, gushing about about him. Um, again, totally fine with this this pick for a couple of reasons. One, Logan Thomas is coming off the ACL. We don't quite know his timeline. Hopefully, it sounds like he could be ready for Week One, but we'll have to see. Two, um, Carson Wentz. When you look at where he's had success. He loves throwing the ball to the tight end. You guys have heard me use this stat, but just to quickly say it again, since I think 2017, only Lamar Jackson has thrown a higher percentage of his passes to tight ends. And Wentz also does well throwing to big receivers. He's typically had a bunch of those guys. As we mentioned, their top three receivers are not tall guys. Now you have um, along with um, – uh, along with, uh, sorry, my, I'm having some mic question here, along with um, Logan Thomas whenever he comes back. So I'm okay with this, whatever. We're talking a fifth-round pick, so I'm, I'm okay with this, but what, what about you? Uh, I, I think this is my favorite pick of the the draft. I like Cole Turner a lot. He's a former receiver, turned tight end, bulked up. He's like a monster, six six and a half, two hundred 250 pounds. Like, this is the type of later-round tight end I would prefer to take as opposed to John Bates, who was more of a blocker last year. This is the type of pick I love. I, I really wanted to come away with Isaiah Likely, Cole Turner, some receiving tight end just in case, you know, things aren't great with Logan Thomas injury-wise. So this is the type of tight end I'm a big fan of. Um, best athletic comparison is Jermichael Finley. You're telling me I'm getting Jermichael Finley in the fifth round. I'm a fan of that. Right, right. So, you know, okay. And, and by, basically at this point, we've reached the point of the draft where you're, you're, you're taking shots. My thing typically, once we get to this point is, is there a path for the player to make the roster? Because that's all I really care about here. Can, what specific thing can they do? And can they make the roster? There's no point in drafting somebody, you know, if they can't make the roster. The best player on your board could be another quarterback, but obviously you already got three. So, you know, that would be dumb, right? That type of thing. There's a room for Cole Turner to make this team. You, you know, they, they lost Ricky Seals-Jones. You have John Bates. You have Samus Reyes. That's kind of it, and right? And Samus Reyes, as much fun as we all enjoy talking about him, you know, he hasn't done anything yet. So the, the, there's- I don't take him seriously for whatever that's worth. <laughs> well, So you know, to me, this is your second tight end and John Bates is your blocker. I, I love it. I'm all on board. Yeah, so I'm fine. I'm fine with that as well. So they trade out of the six, two sevens. We don't have to deal too much here, but they get Chris Paul- the guard, yeah, 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 not that Chris Paul, the guard, but the Chris Paul from Tulsa, um, and they take cornerback Christian Holmes from Oklahoma State. Um, it's so funny, Brendan, like you, you'll believe me when I tell, tell you this because it's true. When I did my final Washington mock draft um, for the athletic, I had to kind of hurry to do it while I was still working on my main one for that contest. And 
in the previous one I did, I gave them Tyler Smith in the second round in part because I, I wanted them to get an offensive lineman that had some upside because I kind of don't really have that anymore. And Reve- um, uh, helping Carson Wentz and not just with playmakers, but blocking anyway. But then Tyler Smith, as we get towards the real draft, he's getting mentioned in the first round projections a lot. And he did obviously go in the first round, but I was kind of at a time and I needed to hurry something up. And, you know, Dane Brugger had him like 50. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. So I, I left him there, but what I was going to do, I had it written down. I'd already made the Chris Paul jokes about the basketball player giving him in the sixth round. I know Washington went to the Tulsa pro day. So I was like, all right, he's also got position versatility. I'll go with him in the sixth round. Uh, go with George Pickens in the second round, having given them Kyle Hamilton in the first. Cause I, whatever. Um, and then I, I would have loved the- that one, two, a lot more than the one, two, they went by the way. <laughs> so then I just left it alone. And anyways, so I would have looked a lot cooler if I had actually had Chris Paul in the mock draft i didn't but anyway he's an interesting he's a very interesting human being it seems like he's got a lot of he's a renaissance man has a lot of different uh he, d- he does some singing does a lot of interesting things i think he's gonna look like to me he's got a really great shot to make this team uh, gives you another interior offensive lineman maybe even moves sadiq charles back to tackle because if, if you look at their roster right now they only have three tackles basically so um anyway he's fine and christian holmes uh, you know, their their cornerbacks, you've got the the top, you know, the two starters, obviously. St. Juice is the third guy. Danny Johnson, who I thought was totally solid last year. I don't know if he's your starting slot. And then you really don't after that, there's nobody. So draft this kid Christian Holmes. We'll see what he what he becomes. Maybe he's the sixth, he's a the fifth corner because you have still have Apke there as the special teams. I have no other thoughts on that other than told two positions that they could have used that they hadn't addressed yet, and they and they added some people. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul looks like a pretty athletic guard. His RAS score is 9.47. So, I mean, I'm on board with that. Um, it looks like every he's the 67th ranked uh, athlete all time, uh, going back to 1987 for offensive guards. So that's huge. I mean, that's that's really good. His unofficial ranking was 9.82 originally. It got bumped down for pro day stuff so yeah i mean when you're getting that kind of athlete at guard they usually hang around uh christian holmes my only note about him is he'll be 25 when the season starts seems a little old well and you know that goes back to the theme that they've been going with this whole time and i also so okay that takes us through the draft and when it was over i asked ron rivera I said, look, you, you, after the Carson Wentz trade, you guys haven't really done anything. Um, you know, we've <laughs> only signed the two outside free agents and everything was kind of safe and filling in the gaps and like, the, you know, nothing big splashy. And I asked him, is this because you think that you already have a roster ready to go? And he basically said, yes. Now, I know we, you addressed this before and, and it's, like, it's impossible to sit here and say, that they have a team that's ready to contend when they haven't had a winning season yet under Rivera. But, you know, obviously Chase Young and Montez Sweat were big disappointments last year. They should at least, you know, they'll at least be healthy and should be in theory better, right? Curtis Samuel, we've already discussed him. Carson Wentz, you know, again, God bless Taylor Heineke, but Carson Wentz is going to be a better quarterback, gives you more options at a minimum. Um, it may be significantly more. 
options, right? William Jackson took half the year to even figure out how to play zone defense at all. You would hope that he's better. I don't know. Is Jamin Davis going to get better? I mean, you'd like to think so, even if it's just a matter of just being able to stay on the field more, let alone becoming the dynamic player you, you think you're going to get when you draft the guy 19. Chase Ruye, Sam Cosme, both missed half the season with injuries, etc. I know every team in the league has some sob story like this, so I'm not saying that they're unique. I am saying that you put all that together with McLaurin, with Gibson, with some other things, and I can see how you could project that this team should be a 10-win, or sorry, not should, could be a 10-win team if things break their way, which is still not the same as contending for a Super Bowl. It is to say that if you think that, then filling in the gaps makes more sense on a level. But at the end of the day, it feels like their plan was so rigid in that way, going for uh, seniors, going for older players, going to fill in the gap as opposed to taking upside opportunities where possible. They may disagree with uh, with us on that statement because they may view some of these guys as having significant more upside than we're al- allowing, but that's not what it feels like, and that's all we can kind of go by here. So that's the thing. You put it all together, it feels like it was a pretty safe, conservative approach, similar to what that executive told Mike Sando, similar to what they did in all of offseason other than the Wentz trade, which wasn't conservative, but it was maybe slightly panicky when you gave, when you paid full sticker price, um, thus feeling conservative because you felt like you had to do something. So that's the, for me, the ultimate problem with this. I'm not saying it was a bad draft. I'm just saying it was kind of a uh, okay draft. Like you did some decent things, probably shouldn't screw up too much, but I don't know how high they can go based on this draft class. Yeah. It, it feels like they, they picked a team or they picked a draft class that is going to get them to eight or nine wins and they're going to try to sneak in the wild card. And that's what they're going to do. Uh, they're going to, they're going to win 17 to 14. They're going to grind out games. They're going to stop the run and they're going to hopefully uh, be better defending the pass with the same players they had last year that weren't great at defending the pass. So they're going to, they're going to hope for regression from the defensive ends they're going to be back to their their 2020 ways. And then they're just going to hope Carson Wentz is 2017 Carson Wentz and not 2019, 2020, 2021 Carson Wentz. It's a lot of ifs. And they drafted as if those were not ifs, I guess. It's a, it's a safer draft in that the floor is very high on some of these guys. But at the same time, they're not going to be playing a ton of snaps. They're not going to be in on crucial downs. Jahan Dotson will be, but Mathis won't be. Robinson won't be. Robinson will be your goal line back. But again, how much value is there in a third round goal line back? And then how much value is there in a gunner in the fourth round? I think they did really good on day three. Their day three picks are all somewhere between an A plus and a, a B plus for me. But again, they they swung on a quarterback when they didn't have to. Um, and that's good. I mean, we all agree that you need to keep swinging at quarterback until you have the right one. I just wish they took the day three mentality and took that on day two and day one. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and, you know, I guess I'll just, you know, add to this, that we're assessing things now free. There is still another wave of free agency. Like we mentioned, they didn't take a linebacker 
on the service a little peculiar, not just because there's not a third starter for base formations. They don't even have depth, right? That their depth is yeah. David Mayo and Khalid Hudson, two guys they didn't use until a case of emergency happened. I heard Rivera say there may be other people on the roster who could m- compete with Butler for the uh, Buffalo nickel spot. I'd love to know who they are. You can keep telling me about Khalid Hudson, but you don't use them. Last year was perfect opportunities for him to play with all the things, injuries and other stuff, and they didn't use them. So, you know, people get better, but that doesn't, I don't have a lot of faith there. So, yeah, I'd like, you know, we'll see what they do in free agency. There's a bunch of linebackers who are available. Uh, Alexander Johnson was with the Broncos last year. Joe Schobert is with the Steelers. Always had to mention AJ Klein because he played for Rivera in Carolina. There are, there are decent options at linebacker, relatively speaking. Um, and, and, you know, other positions as well. There's uh, uh, good, good, good enough free agents relatively this time of year. Plus teams will inevitably cut players like the way the bears did last year with Charles Leno. And, and you see how that, how that works out. Um, you know, Nick, that Ford. just feels unsustainable to me. It's like the McLuhan kind of cutting guy or picking up guys that get cut on the final day or early in the season. Like you struck gold a couple times doing that, but you also missed a bunch and it just feels like, would you sign one person that wasn't in Carolina <laughs> right. sometime between 2011 and 2018? It's kind of like for me, like how the, the, the Colts were patient at quarterback and then things broke their way with Matt Ryan. But I'm not saying I, I, by that, I just mean they did their other business, decided to be patient here. Thus it kind of ultimately worked out. If they had been in this case, I guess I mean like if they had been more aggressive at other points of the draft shot for more home runs, then you can waiting on, on some of these guys to fill in the gaps is fine. You're waiting on them to not just do fill in the gaps. You're waiting on them to be a play decent roles, like to really be, you know, that, that 11th defender. I don't even know who it is right now. Right. I mean, if Jamin Davis isn't really making strides, they only have one linebacker that you can feel pretty comfortable about right now. And again, like even the offensive line looks like a solid group. They lost their five-time pro bowler. And I, other than maybe Sam Cosme, they don't have a single person on the line where you think, boy, this could be the starter for the next 10 years type deal. So that's where the, the I, I'm okay with the waiting, but it's like everything else in conjunction with everybody, everything else, it's got to work. It can't just be, well, we're going to wait and make, try to make something significant happen. Cause that's not going to happen. I, I, I wouldn't say it's more of filling the gaps there too. And that's, that feels like they're only <laughs> filling in gaps as opposed to making bold moves, again, not discounting the Carson Wentz trade. Yeah, I feel like there were moves that could have been made on the offensive line in the secondary on day two that they just didn't make for some reason. And prioritizing a rotational defensive tackle and prioritizing a early down thumper, I just, I don't, it feels like a misreading of what the roster is and what the aspiration should be. Like, are we looking at a big year three or are we just looking at a terrible nfc and making it to the wild card i guess that's I, i'm confused on that well you know again we'll we'll have to see you know again I, it just feels like you know by nature they are just a little bit conservative and maybe a lot of bit conservative conservative with some of their thoughts and some of their thinking um, again, I do think there's a lot of upside to be had based on the people on the roster, but it doesn't feel like they added any. And ultimately, that's how this works. But look, again, the the, the Cole Turners of the world, the Percy Butlers of the world, 
I'd be lying if I told you I could give you a definitive answer. And guess what? Neither can anybody else. So we'll see how they play out. But this goes back to what we discussed at the top about the process. I'm fine with some aspects of it, but in each individual pick, I could justify to a degree. But in totality, you know, when you're drafting guys into largely backup roles, it's one thing to do it if you're saying with like a Mathis, look, where we are, we're going to move on from Deron Payne. We need to get somebody else. And for now, he's a rotation guy. Next year, he starts. Fine. But like, then you need to have done other, you need to swing or big elsewhere type stuff. And like we said, they didn't really quite uh, do all that. Um, before I let you go or whatever, I don't know what you need to go now, but uh, let's just talk quickly about the NFC East. Because not only is it about what Washington does, you're competing in this division. And one of the reasons to be somewhat optimistic about Washington's chances is the fact they play in a pretty lousy division. Um, I think Dallas has taken a step back from where they were a year ago, right? They they lose some pieces in Randy Gregory, um, and and uh, obviously they trade away Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup's got up, you know, dealing with a, a little leg issue. So I think they somewhat took a step back, but they still have a lot of talent, and arguably are still be the favorite in the division. The Eagles, they they were the opposite concern about what they did. They went for it big time, and. They um you know they, they they traded up a couple spots to get Jordan Davis. Then they swung big in a trade to get AJ Brown. Um, while the Giants had picks fifth five and seven get Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, so they're going to improve. They're just sort of by default. Um, so I think the Eagles and the Giants. I don't think I, I didn't. I haven't looked at grades. I imagine they got very high marks, relatively speaking. And Dallas was already the favorite. So I think from that perspective as well, and again, it's not just about the first couple rounds, but from that perspective as well, I don't know that Washington necessarily will have fared as well against those other teams, but you know, I just think that it's, you can't just look at these things in, in tunnel vision. You got to look at it in at least some other perspective, including the teams in your own division. Yeah. I think coming out of the draft, Washington is still probably the third best team. Um, Philly obviously had massive upgrades with AJ Brown. And I think that can change a lot of their offense. It doesn't put as much pressure on Devonta Smith to be the number one guy. They still have Dallas Goddard, you know, everything there sets up for Jalen hurts to have a big year. Sirianni looked like, and I was not high on Sirianni when he was hired. He seemed like one of the only guys to ever lose the opening press conference. He seemed like he was adapting throughout the year to what, the talent was on the Eagles and maximized it and made a playoff run. The Cowboys are better. They have the best quarterback in the division, bar none. And I think they actually had a pretty good draft for what they did. They had some losses at defensive end. They lost uh, Randy Gregory. They replaced him with Sam Williams in the second round. They lost Amari Cooper and replaced him with Jalen Tolbert in the third round. I like Jalen Tolbert a lot. Uh, I know he was... Uh, not highly regarded coming out of South Alabama. Uh, I believe he was a value pick, according to the big board. So, uh, you know, he did pretty well. And then the Giants easily have the worst quarterback in the division. Not a question to me. Daniel, Daniel stinks. Tyrod Taylor at some point is probably going to play because Daniel Jones stinks and can't stay healthy. So they had a really good draft. They had a really good hiring in Brian Dayball as a new head coach. Their GM seems like he's pretty smart and kind of gets it. First round was really good for them. Wandale Robinson, their second round pick, seemed like a bit of a stretch. I liked him in college. Uh, 
at Nebraska, he was more of like a running back. And then at Kentucky, he was more of a receiver. He's pretty versatile. He can play that Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley role for the Giants. But again, like it seemed like everybody swung kind of big on draft day, except for the commanders and, and the Cowboys to a certain degree, but they didn't have as high a pick to swing big. So it just... It's frustrating seeing the other drafts. And I will say on the Cowboys, I mentioned Tyler Smith. The reason I liked him for Washington in the second round is when you read his scouting report, it screams wherever he is now, the ceiling is is bigger. You'll see if he gets there, but that's why I was like, oh, good. Let's give Washington a guy like that for their offensive line because they're kind of lacking that oomph right now. So even if Dallas taking an offensive lineman is somewhat boring, they actually took one who, again, if you're looking at the various reports, could be a significant upgrade once he learns how to play. He hasn't doesn't have a ton of experience and things like that. I think they also took the uh, the linebacker out of LSU, Damone Clark, Damone mm-hmm. Domain. Right, he, he uh, would have been like a day two pick, but then he has like a had like a need to have like spinal surgery basically. Yeah. Um. So he dropped and 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 you know obviously hope he's all right. But uh, yeah, that's sort of like when they took Jalen uh, Smith a couple years ago which worked yeah, a little bit. It, it seemed like they were kind of swinging big at some of their picks. Jalen Tolbert's a guy, again, I talked about, I like a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like everybody else's draft seems pretty good. I don't think the Giants draft is good enough to vault them in front of Washington. Um, but Philly kind of seems like they're locked into that second spot, with, or maybe even the favorite. I don't know. Like, I, I know the betting favorite is still going to be the Cowboys, but the Eagles draft was pretty good outside of trading for A.J. Brown, too. So. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, for for sure. Um, all right. Well, in any event, they, they, Washington also added a, a bunch of uh, undrafted free agents. No, we're not going through those. You you can go check out the athletic. I've tweeted it out. The the list is best I have, and I'll, they'll be, they'll be integrated in my story tomorrow. They added a quarterback that's just for practice squad or for practice squad and training camp. Don't get don't get worked up over that. Um, and they did add you a bunch definitely of, get worked up over it. <laughs> they did add a bunch of linebackers as well, perhaps as a nod to uh, the fact that they just don't have a ton on the roster. Uh, but again, free agency is going to be upcoming. Other teams will release players and we'll see what Washington does. I am interested to see, do they make any kind of aggressive moves here at all? One, because they need to, and two, uh, you know, I mean, it, there, it, it has been some sort of oddly concerning or not concerning, but odd, odd, how they've been so conservative at a point when Dan Snyder is dealing with Congress, he just bought out his other owners or they being sort of conservative with the money. I did ask Ron Rivera about this at the owners meeting. He said, no, they're just being mindful of the cap, but we'll see. We'll have some more evidence coming up here. And then of course there is the Terry McLaurin situation coming up to some degree, the Duran Payne situation, which we've discussed and so on. So lots more to, to, to ponder, to discuss, to think about, and we'll do that all here on the standard room only podcast. But first, Brendan, Appreciate it. Uh, any parting shots from you other than the fact to say that you can hear Brendan uh, every uh, Monday to Friday on the Kevin Sheehan show on the team 980. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Brendan Dar. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Yeah, ma'am. Um, all right. That's it for now. Ben Standick signing off until next time. See ya.